Okay, you guys can grab a seat. Hey, my name's Sammy. I'm the uh, RUF campus minister at USC, obviously. Uh, so glad you're here tonight, especially on a cold, rainy night. I know there's a game tonight, so thanks for showing up. Hey, so we're working our way through the book of Exodus this semester. Uh, tonight, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to do verses 21 to 31. So Exodus 4, 21 to 31, if you want to follow along with me, send your handout. And let me just say, this is, this is one of those passages that, like, you don't really want to preach, but you feel like it's in Scripture, and so we're gonna, I'm going to tackle it, and I'm going to talk about why I want to tackle it. But just know that this is not, it's one of those passages when you, maybe you're, like, in your Bible reading plan right now, and you know how it goes when you, Genesis can, is kind of exciting sometimes, and you're tracking with it, and maybe even Exodus you've read through, and, like, you're still tracking and, and jamming with that. And then you get to Leviticus, you're like, oh, this is cool. Good stuff here, good stuff here, and then you get discouraged. This passage is kind of like that. So Exodus four twenty one to 31. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn. I will kill your firstborn son. Verse twenty-four is where it gets weird. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him. This is uh, we're going to talk about this. Met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, Mrs. Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, "Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me." So he let him alone. The Lord did. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And so he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Let me pray, and then we're going to dive into this text tonight, and it should be fun. It should be a wild ride. Let's pray first. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you even, maybe especially tonight, for the difficult passages where we're confused about what's happening, we're confused, or maybe, maybe even offended by what you are doing and Lord, we just, um, we're kind of left with our hands in the air. And so Lord, I pray that in a text like this tonight, that you would meet us and wrestle with us and work in us things that you alone can do. I pray that you would convict those who come in uh, with a proud heart and are maybe um, just headlong in sin and not without a care in the world. Lord, would you bring by your spirit conviction and Lord, for those of us who come maybe a little bit brokenhearted, weary, uh, ashamed, would you meet us with the comfort of the gospel? Would you remind us that we are loved by you, not because of what we offer or even what we do or have done, but we're loved by you in spite of what we've done. We're loved by you because of what you have done, Lord Jesus, on our behalf. So would you make the gospel rich to us tonight? Uh, give us joy in it tonight, we pray. And we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So I was watching this video. Uh, it was Tim Tebow. It was pretty fascinating. I'm not like a huge Tim Tebow fan, 
But he was talking about, he's cheering at this church, and he was talking about his decision, if you ever watched him play football, of how he chose the scripture under his eye black. And he was just kind of telling the story where he, um, just why he chose Philippians 4.13, of how it was kind of, he wanted something that would speak to everyone, that was maybe inspirational. And I just want you to know that this, this passage is not that, right? Like, this would not have been a passage that, that Tebow would have put, it would have been amazing if he'd done Exodus 4. 24 to 26 to 28 just and people would have looked it up and be like what the heck is happening here uh, this is not a passage that you would when you're scrolling through instagram and you see that that nice picture by that person you follow where like scripture is beautifully just written in this crisp notebook with a steaming cup of coffee like this is not that passage okay this is just not that passage it's weird and it's hard and it's confusing and i believe it's still really important that even the hard parts of scripture have something to teach us. So what I want to do tonight, pretty briefly, I hope, is talk about just two things of, from this hard text of how it shapes two things. One, our understanding of scripture. We're going to talk about that first. And then second, just two things. Second, our understanding of Jesus, especially how scripture points us to Jesus. And so we're kind of the kind of the way I'm thinking about it is we're going to unpack really our view of scripture for a little while together, looking at a hard text in point one, and then we're going to try to apply it fairly briefly in point two. So let's track, let's go. First, our understanding of scripture. So this text I've already said is so confusing. Here's why. Uh, Number one, who was the Lord trying to put to death? Moses or his son? Commentators are divided there. Uh, Number two, how did Zipporah know to circumcise her son? Uh, How did she know? Was it a direct word from the Lord? Has she just known the stories of Abraham and Abraham and Isaac of Jacob? Um, The weirdest part this is what I love. Like, this is my favorite. Just thinking about this as a Valentine's romantic moment between Zipporah and Moses, right? Like, why did she take the foreskin of her son, Gershom, and wipe the blood in her husband's feet? Like, that would be the most goth horror rom-com matchup of all time, right? I still have, And then why did she call him a bridegroom of blood? I'm still waiting for a candy heart that just says, Brad, you're my bridegroom of blood. Um, but this text is also, it's not just confusing, it's also troubling, uh, most notably because God, it says in this passage, sought to put, uh, we're, I'm going to argue, Moses' son to death. I had a cousin who uh, went to Carolina. He was older than me, and he hated w- WWJD bracelets. And I asked him one time, I was like, why? Because I had, I've told you before, I had like a collection, mat- matching ones. Khaki was my catch-all. You know, I could wear my khaki one with everything. Um, and he said, what would, what would Jesus do? He said, God killed people. I was like, whoa, man, I know what you mean. Like, we can't imitate everything. Maybe you could say that better, right? Like, it's a little a stark way to say it, but we're wrestling with a text where God is, is coming and pursuing something that's in a way that is maybe confusing to us. He's coming in wrath, and we're going to see his wrath is turned away by something, but it's, it's confusing and unsettling. Uh, Mark Twain once famously said, uh, it's the parts of the Bible uh, I don't understand. It's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that trouble me. It's the parts that I do. And I think, so why does God include the parts that we don't understand that confound us? And I think it's for a few reasons. Uh, I think it's to humble us. I think it's to teach us patience. And I think, honestly, y'all, that it's to teach us to wrestle with him. That especially the hard parts of Scripture, the offensive parts of Scripture, are these invitations for us to wrestle with God. So the first thing I want to do is just, I have a couple of encouragements for us as we begin to think about Scripture, and especially in light of the hard parts. Just a couple of encouragements in this first part. Uh, Here's the first one. 
I want to encourage us to be lifelong students of Scripture. Uh, the beauty of Scripture is that, as some, as some people have said, it's, it's like the ocean, that it's shallow enough for my children to splash in, but it's deep enough for scholars to engage with just certain books or certain passages for their whole life. And part of the encouragement of the hard text of Scripture is to be a lifelong student of Scripture. If you think you fully understand everything, let's, let's grab coffee, let's grab iMac, and let's talk about the parts. Here's how that we're, we're called to be these lifelong students of Scripture. I was at, uh, we have Presbytery in my denomination, and I was at Presbytery last week, and this guy got up and shared, his name is Tim Hanley, and he shared something that was amazing to me. He said, I want you to know, and he wasn't saying it, he's going blind, and he's really wrestling with the Lord, like he is literally going blind. But he said something that really struck me. He said, I want you to know, in the 40 years I've been a Christian, I've, I have committed myself to reading Scripture every day. And then my, my shame kind of came out. I was like, man, I can't even make it a whole week. And this guy goes 40 years. And he said, I've never missed a day. And he wasn't saying, I mean, he's not like saying it where you want to punch him in the face. Like we all know those Christians who are like, yeah, good for you, buddy. I have something for you. I'll show you a bridegroom of blood. Um, <laughs> But he's, he said it in a totally humble way, and it just made me think, like, are, am I, are we lifelong? Are we committed to being lifelong students of Scripture? That's my first encouragement. My second encouragement, let Scripture surprise you. Let God's Word surprise you. I, I, again, I think this is where the difficult parts of Scripture can be really helpful. Um, when we're confounded and confused, it's like we're back, Exodus 3, it's like it's a burning bush. Remember the burning bush we looked at last week? Where part of where part of what happens, part of how God reveals Himself to Moses, is this confounding scene, this confounding thing. And as Moses approaches it, he he learns who God is. He he meets God, and I think in a similar way, we we not only meet God in Scripture, but be prepared to be surprised with the God that you meet. He's a God, like we said last week. It's like meeting fire; we can't control Him, and yet at the same time, He draws us in. We want to know Him when you get a little taste of who God is. Um, I'll never forget years ago, this is a little bit of a plug for Suco. Suco is our big event. We go in May to the beach, Laguna Beach, Florida. But my favorite year of all time is we do these seminars that are really fun. My campus ministers lead them. And one of my friends was leading a seminar. I think he was just doing it. If you ever read the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is an amazing resource. If you, if you are new to Christianity or intrigued by Jesus and want to understand how all of Scripture points to Jesus, the Jesus Study Book Bible is amazing. But this one campus minister said he had a student who was totally new to Christianity. And as he was taking the class, he would come and meet him. It was a campus minister at Wake Forest, Kevin Teasley. He would just pull him aside after every seminar and he would, say, he would show him the passage. And he would say, Kevin, can you believe this crap? He's like, it's amazing. And for me, it was like the joy of being surprised. Because some of us have grown up in Christianity and are, are we surprised by Scripture? I think if we're, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, we get bored by Scripture. We think we know it. And so can I just encourage us to to put yourself in a place of opening to be surprised by Scripture. Third, uh, be patient with Scripture. Again, hard text. Uh, This is where part of what they teach us is they teach us that it's going to take us a while to fully understand what's happening. It's going to take us a while to fully understand not just who God is, who we are, what Jesus has done. It's going to take us a while to see. we, We preached Leviticus a few years ago. It took me, it was so hard to preach because how does the book of Leviticus point us to Jesus? And yet what I found was super rewarding. And just being, being patient with our understanding of Scripture. 
uh, that we need every book of the Bible, that every book is not equally challenging, but we need every book of the Bible. And I, I think about a story in my own life. I was dating, I've shared before, I had a really serious relationship when I was ending high school, into college. Um, and when, we, when I got into that relationship, everything in my walk with Jesus became about her. Have you ever been in that spot? So I would like, I had a prayer journal, and if I like were to bring a prayer journal here and let you read it, like it would be not about Jesus, it would be about the, my girlfriend at the time. I'll, I'll, let's call her Emily. What well, wasn't her name, but I don't want to say her name because she might listen to the podcast, and that would be awkward. But I remember I was desperate, she had, we had kind of like started to date, and I was desperate just to be with her, and uh, we had gone through a little spell where she, she had mini broken up with me you know when like at the full-blown broke up but it was like we need a little space apart and I remember being I was reading the book of Nehemiah at the time and I was like okay God I hear what you're telling me you're telling me like that the wall is like my relationship with Emily and I need to just stick this thing out and just stay by this thing and can I say no no that is not the correct reading of the book of Nehemiah right like that was not what God was saying to me. I was totally misreading Nehemiah. And now as I've grown some in my faith, I've grown some with Jesus, I understand that now. So being patient with scripture also means being patient with yourself. Uh, Four, be gracious in your, be gracious to others' understanding of scripture. Here's what I mean by that. Like there are certain things that are essential. Like we're not supposed to be gracious about if someone misinterprets or abuses the gospel or things that are really clear in scripture. But we have to be honest that there are things in Scripture that are not as clear. There's an old saying that um, was attributed to to Augustine where he said this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. I love that. In essentials, unity, this is what we want to be. In essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. The way I like to think about it is I am Presbyterian. I am convicted and convinced of infant baptism. And I know some of you are not. And that's okay. You know why? Because Scripture is not super clear about it. There is room for disagreement. There is room for debate. And there is room for charity and grace when, we have, when people have other understandings of Scripture. And we need to be that hard text. Teach us that. Because I can tell you there are a lot of things in this text that I'm not going to be able to tell you. This is for sure what it means. This is for sure how it happened. The last thing, number five, look for Jesus in Scripture. I love one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, besides when Jesus cooks breakfast for his friends, which we know is my, well, that's my life first now, when Jesus says, come, friends, and have breakfast. I like to think about the true and better Waffle House with Jesus. I think it's amazing. But my, my second favorite text is Luke 24, where Jesus, his disciples still believe him dead. Amen, it's the road to Emmaus, and Jesus is walking back with his disciples. And it says that, it says literally, and beginning with Moses and all that, they don't realize it's the resurrected Jesus, they don't recognize him. And, and Luke 24 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, to, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Bible is not about us, it's about Jesus. And we're going to see that. We're going to try to do that in a minute in our text. But no one has done this better than Tim Keller. Let me just we'll do a little bit something he uh, preached one time that I've loved, just uh, how Scripture points us to Jesus. Here's how he said it. He said, Jesus, think about it. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer. This is in your handout. Who then intercedes for, intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. Jesus is the true and better David, 
whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible is really not about you. It's for you. But it's about him. And let's do that for a second. Last, just briefly, let's just see. What is this text? Okay, if that's true, let's, with that understanding in mind, these are what hard texts do for us, doing us. Let's look for a second about what this text might tell us about Jesus. And this is where we're going to try to work out this text as best as I can. I'm going to tell you on the front end, this was hard. This one was a hard one to study, so bear with me. But I think there are two ideas when we look at it that really push us to Jesus about what are happening in our text. And there are two kind of clues that are really important. Here's the first one. The first one is this idea of the firstborn son. If we're going to understand this text, we've got to understand this idea of the firstborn son. It's a huge theme in Exodus. It's a huge theme in, in Scripture, huge theme. Uh, Pharaoh, we've already seen, he's already killed the firstborn sons of Israel. And God here tells Moses to tell Pharaoh that if he doesn't listen, God is going to kill his firstborn son. And then he refers to Israel as, his, as God's firstborn son. And so I think with all that in mind, when, when God seeks to put Moses's, this is why I think he seeks to put Moses' firstborn, Gershom, to death. This is why I don't think it's talking about Moses. It's talking about Gershom. But it brings to mind, if you're familiar with the Bible, it brings to mind Abraham and Isaac, right? When God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. You remember the scene? And he takes him to the mountain, and he's, he's about to sacrifice him, and the angel of the Lord stops it. And then there's a lamb caught in the thicket, and they sacrifice the lamb instead. And I think, so the question for us is... Culturally, this is weird to us. Like, we don't have a category for if God had, of God coming to kill. Like, I don't have a category for God coming to kill my firstborn son. And part of that is because as Americans, we don't live in a culture like Moses and Abraham did and Zipporah did, where the family was a huge idea. That, like, when I think about my family, I want my kids to go out into the world, and they bear the family name, but they're going to live their own lives. Like, you're here at college, you're, you bear your family name, and, and, you're, and in ways that you don't even know yet, your family has shaped you profoundly. Um, but in this culture, it was more than that. It, it was this idea of God visited the sins of the father and the mother upon the children. That, that when you were someone's son, you, you carried the weight of your family's sin. Not just their identity, but the weight of their sin. And so this is where, like, we might be confused that God would say, hey, I want you to, like in Abraham's case, I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham knew what God was saying. He's saying, Abraham, your sins are so great, this is the only way. That's how he would have understood it. Moses and Zipporah, they know what God is doing. This is why I think God is pursuing uh, to kill Gershom, Moses' son. What do we do with that? Uh, I think about, um, I think, I don't know, this is, this is going to be a stretch. We're going to try it. Have you, have you by chance caught the uh, Lego Ninjago movie? Probably not, but I have kids, so I have. <clears throat> Just watched it this last weekend. Man, it's incredible. Big fan of the Lego movies. I think they're hilarious and super well written. But this one, I think, gets to this idea as best as I've seen is if you know the story. You probably don't know the story because you're college students, but we're going to roll with it. If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. But the, the whole idea of the story is there's this evil father. Uh, his name is Garmadon, 
and it's about his kind of emo son. And all the son wants is for his father to stop trying to wipe out his entire city over and over again. And so the hilarious thing is just to watch like the neediness of the son, like pursuing the affection of the father. But the other hilarious thing is everyone in the city hates this kid. Like they hate the main character because they realize his father is Garmadon. So they like every turn in his school, like everywhere, everyone just hates him, stares at him. There's a scene where like all the kids shift over to one side of the bus because they don't want to sit near him. Like, and the bus is like tilted. I mean, it's just, it's actually pretty funny. But the idea simply being, we, we recognize something like that, that why are they treating him that way? Because they're visiting the sins of the father upon the son. They're, they're treating the son uh, in, in light of the sins of the father. And so you have to understand that the story of Exodus has everything to do with God calling Israel. Think, track with me. God calls Israel his firstborn son. And he says, I'm going to call you out of Egypt. And it's actually profound. This is the gospel. He's saying, I no longer want you to live as slaves. A lot of you here tonight are living as slaves. You're enslaved to your grades. You're enslaved to your image. You're enslaved in a relationship. You're enslaved to your lust. You're enslaved to all kinds of things. And part of the message of Exodus is God coming to rescue you and deliver you out of your slavery so that you can live as his sons and daughters. That is the message of Exodus. That's why we said we're doing this. This is the gospel according to Exodus. It is the Christian life. It is the gospel. So God calls Israel his firstborn son. He says, that I no longer want you to live as slaves. I want you to live as son, sons. And which is so fascinating when we get to Matthew's gospel and we get to chapter 2. When Matthew says about Jesus, quoting Hosea, who's quoting God from the Exodus, out of Egypt I called my son. This is why in God's providence, Jesus spent time. They had to flee being killed by Herod, and they spent time in Egypt. And then they had to flee to Egypt, and then God calls Jesus out, and he calls him and raises him into his ministry. And this is the thing you have to get. Like, think about Isaac again for a second. Isaac lived because there was another sacrifice In our case, Gershom, Moses and Zipporah's son, lived because there was another son who was going to bear the death for the sins of the family. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes and he dies the death that we deserve. The way we say it all the time, he dies the death that you and I deserve to die for our sins. After living the perfect life that you and I can never live. And Jesus is the firstborn son who faces death on our behalf. Jesus is the firstborn son who gives his life freely. We just sang it. Who gave his life for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. I love the way that Paul talks about it. And the father is the one. God, the father is the one who did not spare his only son. I love the way that Paul says it in Romans 8. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not also with him graciously give us all things? That if God gave his firstborn son, God, because God gave his firstborn son, not, not only did Isaac live and Gershom live, but we live forgiven, free as sons and daughters. Back to the Tebow thing. What's interesting is Tebow, so he had this moment where he was like, I think I'm going to change. You know, they made that incredible run, Florida was. And at the national championship game, he went to Urban Meyer and said, I want to change the scripture under my under my black eye and Urban Meyer was like no we have had this incredible luck apparently he's a big superstitious guy and Urban Meyer was like no you do not touch that's Philippians 413 baby that's what we're going to win with and he said no and this is maybe a little cliche but he said I want to go John 316 
I'm like, Tebow, man, come on. There's a lot of good scripture out there. You're really going basic, right? Basic bro. But he said, and this is where like, my heart is warming towards him, Tebow. He said, I knew that there were going to be a lot of people watching that game that were going to be intrigued and they were going to Google John 3.16. Now, you know, in my cynicism, I roll my eyes at that. But can I just say I hate that about myself? Can I just say that that is the gospel message? That for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And can I just tell you that Exodus 4 puts some, put some weight behind that for me. I understand, and I hope you understand, John 3.16 better because of Exodus 4 and what's happening in this idea of the firstborn son. But then the second thing and the last thing we see, the other clue for us about Jesus is the blood Again, in case you miss it, this is where this passage gets so weird. Zipporah, she circumcises her son, who is not a baby, by the way. This is part of the awkwardness of this passage. He's not a baby. There was a lot of blood. Have you ever heard Jeff Tweedy talk about being circumcised as an adult? Man, that's an amazing story. He talks about it in a wait, wait, don't tell me. Worth a listen. But there's blood everywhere. And then Zipporah does that weird thing where she takes it and she touches Moses' feet. This is fascinating. Let me tell you why. Do you remember Exodus 3 we just looked at last week? When the burn, Moses is at the burning bush, and God tells him what? Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And I want you, this is where this is a parallel. I talked about this last week. Isaiah 6, when, when Isaiah is in the temple, he's leading worship, and God shows up in all of his glory. And you remember the first thing he does, he, he confesses his sinfulness. He says, my mouth, I have been a preacher, but my mouth, I'm a man of unclean lips. My mouth has caused me to sin, relate and then the angel, in that beautiful gospel part of that passage, takes a, takes a burning coal from the altar and he touches Isaiah's lips with it and says, your sins have been atoned for. Back to Moses here. That didn't happen. Moses is in the, the burning bush. He has the faults. Remember, he gives God seven reasons why he's not cut out for gospel ministry, why he's not cut out to be the guy. All it brings out, remember we said when we meet God, we, our insecurities come out. They should because we're facing a holy God and we immediately realize we are not holy but I think the beautiful thing here is Zipporah touches his feet. Those feet that had rushed in to kill the Egyptian, those feet that in shame had fled to Midian, those feet that had carried Moses into all kinds of sin. The Bible says our feet carry us into sin. We go places we shouldn't go. We do things we shouldn't do. We don't leave places we should leave. We do all, our feet are in here in this passage. Moses' sins are atoned for. The blood of the circumcision touches feet and by the blood Touching his feet, his sins are atoned for. Because it points to a better blood. It points to the blood of Jesus, the one who was truly circumcised. To circumcise means to to be cut off, right? And this was what the the sign of the covenant was. It was saying, I belong to the Lord, and uh, the Lord is going to take care of my sins. But Jesus was truly cut off. And when Jesus bleeds on the cross, his blood is what washes our sins away because he gave his life, he gave his blood that we might be cleansed, that we might be clean. And so Zipporah applies the sign of the covenant not to her son, and it, it averts, it turns away God's wrath. Why? Not because of what she even did necessarily, but because of what Jesus was going to come and do. Because in faith, she is saying, God, I know you're going to take care of my sins. I don't know how, but we know how. We know that Jesus bled in our behalf. But that idea, that's what I was thinking about today, and I'll close with this. I was thinking about that idea of the, the loneliness and that feeling, can my sins be forgiven? Who's going to atone for me? Who's going to take care of me? I think about Kendrick. I, I'm a Kendrick fan. 
And I think about his song, uh, Pray For Me. And he says it like this, Who are going to pray for me? Take my pain for me. Save my soul for me. Because I'm alone, you see. If I'm going to die for you, if I'm going to kill for you, then I'll spill this blood for you. And I think about Jesus. I think about Hebrews 9 where it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The poor knows this. And then I think about us. And I think about what Kendrick's saying, and I think about what we need, and I think about the gospel. Because the gospel says there, there is someone praying for you right now. The gospel says that there is someone who can take your pain from you tonight. The gospel says that there is someone who can save your soul, even if you don't feel like you can be saved. The gospel is saying that that you are not alone because there is someone who loved you so much. This is a stretch that I can't can't shake the thought, so I'm going to share it. That Jesus really is the bridegroom of blood. Think about those two images. He's the bridegroom. He loves you. He loves you more than you know. He loves you more than maybe even you're even comfortable with. He loves you literally to death. And that's the blood. Because he loves you enough. How do you know Jesus is lo- how do you know Jesus loves you? Because he shed his blood for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are the true and better Moses. We thank you that you are the one who intercedes for us. We thank you that you're our high priest who sacrificed yourself, and we thank you that even right now you are pleading that sacrifice at the right hand of the Father, that we might be accepted, that we might, even as dirty as we feel tonight, that we might know in your sight we are clean. We are clean. We are washed with your blood. And so, Lord, would you, Lord, sometimes for myself and I know for my friends, we can say the gospel, we can even share the gospel, but we can't feel it. And we don't feel it to be true. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends tonight that belong to you, that they wouldn't just know that their sins are forgiven, that they would feel that their sins are forgiven. And we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to close this thing out singing the doxology, that ancient, that ancient tune. Kendrick's good, but have you ever heard the doxology? I'll, I'll kick us off. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks so much for coming out to RUF. Hope to see you again soon.